A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Red Men Weekly Podcast, the show where we bring you the best clips from our Red Men Plus content from the previous week. Hope you've all had a fantastic few days since Liverpool announced the signing of Dom Sobers. Like, just to let you know, if you want to listen or watch these clips, the shows that these clips are from, rather, in their entirety, redmenplus.com is the place to go. And if you go over there now, sign up as a yearly captain subscriber and use the promo code Bobby, B-O-B-B-Y, on the sign-up page, you'll get it for 50% off. So yeah, half price for a full year's worth of content. Use that code Bobby, you'll get the rest of the transfer window, all of next season and the start of the next transfer window as well. So yeah, absolute bargain. You'll get the shows that you're about to listen to and tons, tons, tons more, including the Bobby Firmino stuff. So yeah, get yourselves over there. Anyway, I mentioned at the top of the show about Dom Sobersly. Well, when he was signed, Dan Club on a transfer insight spoke to Kevin Hatchard, Bundesliga commentator, Bundesliga expert, to get his thoughts on Liverpool's latest sign. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Redmen TV and your latest edition of Transfer Insight. And once again, of course, we're here to talk about the only name on anyone's lips. It is Dominic Solosby. And I'm also going to get the correct pronunciation of a man who I imagine has said his name more than anyone else, probably, quite frankly. It is Bundesliga <laughs> commentator Kevin Hatchard. Kevin, you join us again so soon. How are you doing? You well? Yeah, really good. And really excited by the potential of this because, as you say, I've commentated on him a fair bit over the last couple of years. Um, did a game where he scored a couple of excellent goals, actually. I think he had Stuttgart earlier in the season. And yeah, he's a really, really exciting prospect, no question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, we're going to dig deeper into just how excited we should be in a second. But before we do, that um, pronunciation that I've seen lots of people having conversations about, what's your, I wouldn't say interpretation, because I don't doubt your interpretation. What's the correct way of pronouncing that surname? So with the Bundesliga, we're quite lucky in the sense that what they ask the players to do is to all do a video. And in his video, he said Dominic Soboslai. I've spoken to Hungarian journalists and said, look, did he kind of de-Hungarianify his name to some extent? And it, uh, apparently in Hungarian, it's not massively different. There's just a slight difference on how you say the final syllable. Um, but he has said in the Bundesliga, Dominic Soboslai. So mm. uh, we'll see if that ma is maintained or not. Obviously, we know the Premier League now do their pronunciation videos as well. But I think if you say Soboslai, you're not too far wrong. Well, I'm comfortable with Soboslai. I'm I'm okay. That's my wheelhouse as it is at the minute. I spoke to a Hungarian journalist actually the other day and he said the same thing about the ending. The ending is different. So 
Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna stick to what I know. What is it? Walk before you can run. I'm. Uh, I'm okay with yes. Sobosly. I can. I can live there. <laughs> and I'll keep now. an eye on it as well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um. So yeah, let's get started then. I think the place to start, really, Kev, is much has been made about his versatility. I've seen loads of people saying, if you go on transfer market, you can see just how many positions he's played throughout his his career so far. So I guess the way to ask you is, where have you seen him thrive, and has he got a best position and also, is he as adept at playing numerous roles as it appears? Uh, to be honest, I think his best performances that I've seen generally, if you look at Leipzig, a lot of the time they play this four box two. And what we mm. mean by that is it's four, two, two, two. So he would be in that attacking midfield line behind the front two generally operating towards the right hand side or in that right half space. And that, I, I feel, is where he does his best work. So in midfield, if you think of where Jordan Henderson plays, drifting out towards that right-hand side, maybe, that kind of vibe. He's a very intelligent player. But I think with him, you've got to put him in areas where he can affect the game. What I love about him is he's always trying to affect the game positively. If you look at his underlying data, there's a metric called shot creating actions he's right up there in that so he's always trying to either have a shot himself create a shooting opportunity for somebody else really good passer of the ball can run with the ball but i think you know he's not somebody who's going to kind of weave necessarily through four or five players all the time but he can beat a load of players with good delivery you'll have seen anybody who's seen a highlight reel of the guy knows he packs a punch from range i've seen him score some breathtaking goals scores important goals as well which i think is important and considering he's still in his early 20s one of the things i really like about him is he wants to take responsibility Mm. he wants to get involved wants to get stuck in the defensive side of his game needs work he does do it but it needs work but that's fine Jurgen klopp can work on that i'm sure if he didn't think he could, he wouldn't be anywhere near a signing like this. So, yeah, the, the, there's there's real excitement. He's not a defensive midfielder in a billion years, so I wouldn't want to see him in a deep role for Liverpool. Um, it's very much going to be that link between midfield and attack. Uh, and we've seen players for Liverpool thrive in that kind of role. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it feels to me like he's going to come in and probably slot into that sort of right side and attacking eight. And I assume from what you've said there, that's where you see him as well. Sort of, is he, you mentioned Jordan Henson there. Is he, he's more attack minded than Jordan Henson, I assume. But oh, yeah. is he sort of an upgrade on Harvey Elliott in that sense, perhaps? Um, I mean, they're not, they're different. Uh, Harvey Elliott, I think, is a guy that maybe operates a bit better in tight spaces Mm. with that skill that he has. I mean, I like Harvey Elliott very much and wouldn't want to see him um, ditched in any way necessarily. And I don't don't think this necessarily means that. What I'm really intrigued, actually, you know, Liverpool will have been linked with Gabri Vega. I I think Gabri Vega right now is a bit less two-way than Soboslai. Soboslai's... Maybe because he's worked in a pressing scheme at Leipzig. You know, you can't work for them unless you've got an awareness of what to do without the ball. He wouldn't last very long. Mm. The other thing you've got to bear in mind as well is he's come from Salzburg. So because he's come from Salzburg, he's worked for two Red Bull clubs. And the, the whole 
I, I use tradition very loosely with the Red Bull clubs because they haven't been around very long uh, for obvious reasons. But the playbook is high press, work hard without the ball. And so he is probably a lot more familiar with that side of the game, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's why he's a more natural fit. So I'm really intrigued because you think of Liverpool's midfielders, there is a good variety there. And if you look at the guys they've been linked with, Manu Kone was very much a kind of destroyer, if you like. Um, Alexis McAllister does a bit of everything. Soboslai can work without the ball, will press, will do work, but he is very much creative, attacking, shooting from range, that kind of thing. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you mentioned a moment ago, Kevin, about his willingness to take on responsibility, I suppose. And I find it fascinating that he's been named captain of his national team already because Willie Orban plays for Leipzig and he's Leipzig captain, and yet Soboslai has been given the armband for Hungary. So have you have you seen leadership qualities within him in the Bundesliga? Is that Does that feel like a natural fit to you? Is he that type of player? Is it... Does he lead by his actions, I suppose, or is he a shouter on the pitch, much like Jordan Henderson? What is it about him? I think he's a lead by example guy, maybe. I think if you look at, uh, you know, he's done a lot at a young age. Let's not forget that because he scored the goal that got Hungary to Euro 2020. So, and that's, that's a fair old while ago now. And it was a brilliant goal. And he is somebody who certainly at international level has produced some really important performances and scored some really big goals. And I think if you look at a guy like that, who is technically brilliant, but also uh, it comes back to what I was saying earlier, he's trying to affect the game. Mm. He's trying to do things and uh, he doesn't hide. And so I think you look at all those things and he could be inspirational without being a ranter and a raver. I think Um, he's quite, why, uh, what, one thing that always strikes me about him, actually, and this might sound a bit weird, but when you're commentating on games, you, you you often look at how players are kind of interacting with other players before games. And even when he's not involved, even when there have been games where he's suspended or he's injured, he's always there and he's always talking to other players. So I think he's quite a collegiate guy. I think he's somebody who does get on with teammates. And the fact that they've contributed to a vote for him to be captain at such a young age, I think A, speaks to his star power. And B, speaks to the fact that he's very much a leader by example. So, you know, if you're going to play for Liverpool, you need personality. And he's absolutely got that. Yeah, well, you mentioned personality there. That's a lovely segue into my next question, actually, because just before chatting to you, I seen a clip where he was asked about a penalty that he took. I'm not sure on the game now. And basically, the, the question went, we were always going to take it. And I think he had a conversation with a teammate. And he said, oh, no, I'll take it because I never miss. Now, are we looking at a player personality, arrogance, confidence? You need a little bit of all of that to be a top-level player. Of course you do. But does he play with that swagger? And is that a yeah. positive thing, I guess? Yeah, he backs himself 100%. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. And I think what he knows and what we all know, you only have to watch him for 10 minutes to know he strikes the ball beautifully. The technique he has, whether it's pass, cross, free kick, shot, penalty, you name it, the ball hides from him because he knows it's going to get an absolute spanking when he hits it. That that right foot is outrageous. It really is. I mean, 
I can't think of too many players who consistently hit the ball like he does. I think of when you go back to Hakan Chalanolu, if you, you know, now he's at Inter, of course, he's been at Milan, but I remember him as a Hamburg player. And when he came through, he was scoring free kicks from 40 metres against Dortmund. You were like, oh my God, like this kid. And Sobosla's got that vibe about him. There was a game against Stuttgart earlier in the season. I mentioned that he scored two goals in that game and I commentated on it. I think the second goal, maybe certainly one of the goals was this kind of almost hip high volley that sat up and he struck it so crisply into the corner. And you never really felt he was going to miss. So I, I feel like he's a guy that, especially if Liverpool are playing against, you know, a deep lying team, a low mm. block, he's the kind of guy that with a free kick or with a long range effort can suddenly open up the game. Thanks to Dan and thanks to Kevin for that one. Now, who might know Sobers like better than someone who's watched a lot of games with him? How about someone who has an international teammate of his? Yes, former Liverpool goalkeeper Adam Bogdan rather, joined us on the show. He also spoke to Dan Club. So yeah, you've had the journalist, you've had the commentator. Here is one of Sobers Life's teammates, former Liverpool goalkeeper Adam Bogdan, telling us all about Liverpool's new number eight. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Red Men TV. And I'm delighted to say I've got an extra special show coming up for you right now. I am talking to former Liverpool goalkeeper and international teammate of Dominic Sobersly. I'm speaking to Adam Bogdan. Adam, how are you doing, mate? You well? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, no, massively appreciate you coming on. I really do. Um, so, yeah, obviously, we're here to talk about Liverpool's latest signing, another Hungarian to add to the list of Hungarians that have played for Liverpool, of course. Um I think the easiest way to start off, Adam, is that you've trained with him, you've travelled with him, you've played with him. What's he like as a person, I guess? Uh, he's, he's a very cool guy. Um, you know, he's first of all, he's a huge talent and he's probably the biggest talent of Hungarian football uh, over the past couple of years for sure, but even maybe going back maybe even more. He's just a good kid, you know, and and he he works really hard. He's, he really is a star player with a star attitude and the star attitude is also in terms of uh, work ethic as well so I think it's it's going to be fantastic um, uh, for the club yeah absolutely I've spoken to a few people now who know him well I've spoken to Gerhard Struber um, Fabio English as well earlier on about him and everyone's always mentioned his work ethic and his training and how much he loves football essentially I think Fabio actually said he was obsessed with football so so that bodes well. Um, he scored that goal that secured qualification for Hungary to Euro 2020. I mean, what a goal it was. Obviously, ends up missing the actual competition and Hungary were in the group of death, as it was called. How how big a blow was it to lose a player of that quality for that tournament? Uh, it was I was huge, to be honest. You know, I didn't know him before because I had some absence from the national team in that time. But thanks for him as well, or to him as well. You know, I was uh, I was able to be there because when I returned to the national team, you know, it was for the Euros, and it was uh, it was an amazing uh, atmosphere. We played two home games, you know, against France and and Portugal. And it was something that I'm sure that that he really regret missing, and he's really really to determined even more to be there for the next one because it was such a big occasion for for everybody in Hungary, uh, full stadium. You know, and uh, it was amazing. So, and f- for scoring the, you know, the the winning goal, 
that qualified us for the Euros, and I'm sure he was very, very sad to miss it. Mm. Um, but again, you know, he he will, you know, he's making progress since then. He's the captain of the national team. He's he's scoring big goals. Uh, I think you could see, uh, yes, it, it was against Lithuania this this uh, this summer, but he's above, you know, his class is above. Um, not just the hung, not necessarily the Hungarian team, but definitely above the Lithuanian team easily. So he he it looks so easy for him when he plays, you know, in that level. So um, yeah, we missed him. Uh, we almost got through the group. But yeah. uh, maybe if he was there, he would have. We would have. But since then, you know, in the national team games, you know, it's just to mention maybe England. You know, last year in 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 Wolverhampton, then you could see that that the team is a good team, and uh, when he is in there, we are even better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's definitely a top talent. Um, you two were together when he scored twice against San Marino as well in the World Cup qualifying um, in 2021. So he is definitely making an impact at the international level. You mentioned there, Adam, that he's obviously the captain now of Hungary. He's only 22. Like That is someone very young for a captaincy role. Do you, are you surprised by that? Or do you think, given that if you've worked with him, you know him, is that the right call? I think it's a perfect call to be honest, because uh, you know he's always been the captain throughout the uh, the under seventeen, under nineteen, but whatever you know uh, national team he played, and he always was the leader because simply he was the um, he was the biggest talent uh, for sure, and uh, it's a very healthy combination when you have such a good talent with such wonderful right foot. You will see if you go to the stadium, you know, and you will hear the ball, the way he kicks it, the way he kicks that diagonal, it's it's magic. And um, with that talent combi- combined with the hard work and 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 effort and the understanding what it needs to, what you need to do in, in order to be be able to compete in the top level, uh, it's it's fantastic. And I think this is what the national team coach recognized that uh, after you know Adam Salai just just retired recently, mm-hmm. you you have a, a huge talent with some captaincy pedigree. Uh, I think it's better to put them under under a little bit of pressure and, and and put some more on their shoulders because these types of guys they love it you know they love to be in the center of attention they love to be uh, the main player and uh, I think it will uh, get them to to even more yeah one hundred percent yeah you mentioned the way he kicks the football beautifully a moment ago there. And obviously you will have been in goal, I imagine, for some of them free kicks and penalties in training. Just how are how hard are they to save? Uh, they are, they are, they are really hard. You know, if he gets it right, you know, there's, there's no keeper in the world would save it. Uh, or maybe, maybe in training, Alisson is, is top, you know. Um, but now he has, a, he has a technique. It's like a whip, like... Um, and also it's like, you know, this, the ball starts to dip. So he hits it like uh, he, he sent. If it's almost like flying over, and then he starts starts dipping. And when when you manage to get a hand on it, and it's sort of the di- uh, the ball just sort of dives under, and it and it hits your hand, and it just takes it in. You know, it just uh, the ball is is probably the the strongest and the hardest when when it starts coming down from the tip, and uh, and it's really hard to to save it. I think if you've seen a couple of free kicks of him, and if and if the keeper managed to get close to it. Even if he gets a finger, you know he can't he can't save it. So, you, you, Liverpool get a top talent uh, with, a, you know, huge ambitions, and and I think in the last couple of years uh, he became much stronger. He became a man. 
Um, I grew up, you know, he's got a lot of uh, responsibility on his shoulders, but he loves it. And uh, yeah, he's, he's a really good player. Yeah, very exciting. Just a couple more, Adam, before I let you go. You've got 21 caps for Hungary. Obviously, you play for Liverpool as well. Is Soboslai one of the best players, most talented players you've played with? I'd, you know, we had some few, we had some big talents. Uh, I would say that he is the one that that he got to go abroad early enough and he, he went abroad in the right structure and into the right uh, structure to to Red Bull Leipzig. So uh, we had huge talents before and, and not necessarily making the right calls or, or got injured in the wrong time or, or you know, they were, they were huge talents. We had uh, not not to mention names, uh, but but he he got into this Red Bull Leipzig structure, and I think it 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 was a fantastic decision for him because he he got better um, uh, by by learning a lot of in terms of tactics, and he got stronger. And then he made the next step, and he go to Leipzig. You know, in the Bundesliga, they become one of the best teams in the Bundesliga. Then they start playing in the Champions League, got stronger again, realizing what is the Champions League uh, you have to bring. In Salzburg, yes, he had teammates like Erling Haaland, and I think also that the, the fact that the um, this Red Bull structure is being trusted by the big teams in Europe, therefore, you know, he, I'm not, I'm not saying it's easy easier, but it, it is a uh, it is easier to get to a big top club from that structure because Erling Haaland proved it, uh, Keita, um, Sadio Mane. By going okay first Southampton, but you can name a lot of players, and I think big teams and big huge European teams are 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 more secure to make that uh, uh, huge payment for for a player. So that's why I think he's managed really well, mm. and uh, the, he made the good steps in his career so far. And I I believe that this is going to be the the same. Thanks to Dan and Adam for that one. Sticking with Dan Club, it's a very heavy Dan Club show, this one, and why wouldn't it be? He's been working very, very hard to get all these interviews and all this amazing content for you. Next up, he spoke to David Lynch, Liverpool journalist, of course, all about Liverpool's plans for their midfield. So, yeah, here's Dan, here's David. Take it away, guys. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Redmen TV and your latest edition of Transfer Insight. I'm delighted to say I'm joined once again for this one by David Lynch. David, how are you doing, mate? You good? Yeah, good. Thank you. It's a bit busy time for, for journalists, but it's uh, it's quite exciting. So there's a lot going on. So that's, that's, that's good for us, really. Yeah, a lot going on is putting it mildly. And that's why we've uh, hurriedly got you on today, because it's been a busy news day, as if the last week hasn't been chaotic enough. I remember... Quite serenely going through my week last week, and then all of a sudden Dominic Sobersly comes out of nowhere, and uh, he's suddenly a red. And that's where I want to start, actually, because you wrote a piece for this at Anfield um, earlier on, and it centres around the Sobersly stuff and why Liverpool opted to go for him, I guess, and pulled the trigger on him ahead of Kefren Taram. So, what's your understanding on that situation? Yeah, so Liverpool were, were sort of. We I think we've spoken about this before. Sort of casting the net quite wide, weren't they? This summer, in terms of they, they wanted to make sure they got some midfield additions in, and, and knew that was really important to do that. And in doing the due diligence on that, sort of there were sort of several possible targets who they could have gone for. Um, and and this is a really good example of it. 
you know, Kevin Saran's a name he's been knocking about all summer. The, the, we we know that there was contact with his representatives early in the summer. They were, they were sounded out about what a deal would look like, both in terms of what Nice would expect and what the player would expect in terms of his salary. But then it went very quiet. And I think everyone suspected that was because of the under 21 euros. Obviously transpired in the end that, that Liverpool's preference actually was to to go for Shabbat's lie. So um, that, you know, I know people are saying that the kind of different players and I, I accept that in terms of the, the way they play the game, but, but they are both really sort of that number eight style, you know, moving the ball forward in slightly different ways, but a, a, an attacking threat in a number eight position in midfield rather than sort of the pure holding midfielder or anything like that. So, you know, it looked like a, a sort of straight choice for Liverpool between those two once they got McAllister and Shabazzai was the one who, who sort of ticked all the boxes for them and, and they knew that release clause was there as well. So that made it a clean deal. So that means that, yeah, Taram is is no longer on the list. Um, I, I think it's one that we all sort of thought would maybe progress after the Euros, as I said, but it's obviously Liverpool have, have gone down a different path now. So we won't won't be seeing Taram at, at Anfield this summer. But I think, you know, not, not too bad really when you look at what they've got so far and there could be more to come as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I made up as a sign of a sober slide personally, but I wanted to ask you, you mentioned there, it does feel like because of the release clause, it was more of a straight line. You don't need to do the negotiating with Nice. And there was reports coming from France that Nice are going to hold out for more than the originally muted fee. So maybe Liverpool did just see it as a less complicated deal, like you say. But when do you think because there was so much talk about Taram and indeed Manu Kone as well alongside it, Sobersly was never really a name on the radar at all. So when do you think Liverpool really got wind of this release clause? Because obviously we know they were negotiating the Fabio Carvalho stuff. Is it too simplistic to put two and two together with them? I think it would have come up in those discussions, no doubt about it, but I think they'll have known about this release clause for a long time. We know know the players are Liverpool fan. I'm sure his agents will have been saying to Liverpool, you know, knocking on the door, they'll know that that clause has been there. So I think Liverpool have known it for a while. I think one of the reasons you maybe not heard anything about it up until really close to it, to it sort of happening probably owes much to the fact that, you know, with Taram, for example, Liverpool would have to sort of sound out Nice quite early, wouldn't they? And, and sort of lay the foundations for a deal, obviously talking on the player side. Whereas when it is clean in that way, when you have that release clause, as you did with Sovers Lai, um, it, it's much easier to sort of sit back. And I think what Liverpool were doing in that situation as well was, trying to take it to quite late in the in, in the day with the release clause to maybe put a little bit of pressure on, on on Leipzig, see if they could maybe get that that release clause paid in a different way if possible. In the end, they've obviously relented and, and done it on Leipzig's terms, but I think that's why it's been so quiet. There's been no need to, to go to Leipzig and tell them what your plan is, and therefore that reduces the chances of, of any leaks coming from anywhere. You know, the, the first we hear of it really probably comes from the agent side, and, and it's at the point at which a, a deal is basically done. So... And that that sort of explains why it's been so quiet. So I think he was always the the leading candidate as far as Liverpool were concerned. Um, but they they'd done their homework on Taram just in case they couldn't make it happen. Um, and, and as it happens, it's it's, it's turned out with Sobers like coming to Anfield instead. Yeah, one hundred percent, and a really exciting move. I think one we should all. Be very optimistic about being a success. I've spoken to dozens of people, including Adam Bogdan, over the past few days about that man. He's very excited about the deal himself. So, yeah, and I think you're right. It's interesting that Liverpool did try a couple of times with Leipzig to sort of stagger the payments. And on both occasions, they were kind of turned down and said, no, it's in full or nothing. And Liverpool clearly felt compelled to get the deal across the line one way or another. So, yeah, very good news. You mentioned a second ago, David, there could be further incomings, perhaps even in the midfield department. And as well in the article, you said that Liverpool are keeping tabs on Lavia. Now, this appears to be the next name again ahead of Taram. You said the Taram deal is very much off the cards. So, 
a firm move for the 19-year-old? Are we awaiting that now? Yeah, we're in sort of preliminary stages, I suppose, at the moment. You know, there's definitely been contact on the agent side. Again, Liverpool fully aware of what they need to do to to get the deal done. I think Southampton are clearly going to try and hold out for that sort of top-end price if they can. But, you know, I think Liverpool and other clubs around it think they could maybe negotiate that down to, to something a little bit more acceptable. But, yeah, not nothing quite firm yet. I just think it, what's happening quite clearly, I think, really, with, with Liverpool dropping out to Ram Race, obviously, they, they, they like to his lie on that in, in that number eight position is it mm. if there's a clear need for for anything now in terms of the midfield it's for a younger hole in midfielder um i think he you know that's why lavi looks such an obvious target for them from, from this point on i mean maybe we'll we'll get hit with a with another surprise name out of nowhere who's got a, a release clause we don't know about but i think lavi he just he just ticks so many boxes that i'd be surprised if liverpool don't try and try and move on with this one um, you know, in terms of, you know, wouldn't take up homegrown numbers initially because of his age and would be a homegrown player eventually. I think that's something that is going to be a consideration for Liverpool as they, as they move on through this window. They do have to look after the homegrown thing, particularly some of the names who've been linked with exits. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're at pre- pre- preliminary phase, sorry. Um, um, and so nothing sort of, nothing firm really, no, no sort of firm contact with Southampton or negotiations ongoing there. But Liverpool are aware of the player and and obviously like him and, and he looks a real, real possibility if they're going to go for a third midfielder, which it does look like they're going to go down that route now. And I think a, an exciting move because I think he's a young player with an awful lot of potential, looks a really good fit and there's a, there's a clear succession plan there for him to, to come into that Liverpool midfield. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And I think you mentioned the succession plan there. It would be sort of learning Fabinho for a little while before maybe taking that mantle. And you said there Southampton might hold out for the for the top end of that fee. What do you imagine that would be? And also, you mentioned interest in other clubs. Are we looking sort of a, a direct shootout between ourselves, Chelsea and Arsenal for this one? Yes, yeah, it's, it's very much looking that way. I think Manchester City's need in that position isn't particularly great. And because they've got that 40 million buyback clause next summer, they would probably feel a little bit reluctant to to pay anything above that. In terms of what Southampton are expecting, I think you know they will probably want something over that 40 million because if, if they're to do the deal this summer, I think you know they're protected against that buyback clause now. So I'm, I'm sure they would love to do something just slightly over that just to make it worth the while. Um, and in terms of the clubs that are in for him, yeah, I think Chelsea and Arsenal are the obvious ones. I think what's interesting about them, is, and it's kind of similar to Liverpool, actually, in terms of would probably need some outgoings to make this work. So, you know, on the Arsenal side, there's been interesting Thomas Party That would really open things up for them to to sign a pure holding midfielder there, wouldn't it? Um, for someone like Lavia to come in. So maybe they would have to wait to resolve that situation before moving on. Chelsea, again, they're, they're also looking at Caicedo, aren't they? They've, they've got Enzo in there. You know, they've, they've got options in midfield. So maybe they have to do a little bit of work to their midfield as well before they can justify doing the deal. So I think it, it, it would be helpful for Liverpool to move quickly on this because of the interest. Again, not a club who like to get into bidding wars, are they? And, I, you know, I think they kind of like some you know, reassurances from the player's side really as well that he would really like to come and play for Jurgen Klopp. Um, so, you know, it's it's not one you can say is a guarantee that Liverpool are going to move for him, but there's this clear, obvious interest there. They obviously really like him. Um, so, you know, it, it's definitely one to keep an eye on going forward. Maybe one thing to consider from the Liverpool side is is their outgoings in terms of, you know, do they need to open up a little bit of space? It's, it's not necessarily... I think people think when you mention about that, that it's all oh, because they're absolutely skins and they need to get some money in first. But I think it's more to do with now in terms of a little bit of a focus on outgoings. It's just to know 
exactly what the squad is going to look like, what you look like on the homegrown side of things, where the spaces are in terms of do they need an extra midfielder? All those things have got to sort of come out in the wash a little bit. So it's 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 a time of, at the moment that I get the sense from people I've spoken to for Liverpool to just just take a step back for for a few days and and just reflect on on what's going to happen next and, and what the squad's going to look like in a week's time and then whether they, they can progress with something on the you know maybe a Lavia or someone else. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk about a potential outgoing in that midfield department in just a minute. But before I do, you um you've said about ticking boxes there. It's a conversation I had again last week with Michael Reed, funnily enough, about the homegrown quotas and that sort of thing. And Lavia makes an abundance of sense in that. And he might also allow us to do something in the defensive department that we couldn't do if we went and signed somebody who doesn't necessarily fill the same quotas. So just to finish on Lavia then, do you think as things stand, he will be our most likely next sign. Obviously, Taram's off the cards now. Do you think the way the land lies now, you said there Liverpool might take stock a little bit in the assessor situation. But do you think in terms of who could possibly be coming in, Lavia's top of that list now? Yeah, like I, I mean, like I said, I wouldn't like to rule out this this random signing from no, nowhere. There's a release clause that we don't know anything <laughs> about and it's about to expire. You know, it, it, Liverpool are a very, very secretive club and they, they make fools of us all the time. So, you know, I wouldn't like to to sort of say anything concrete like that. But it, for, that, for all the reasons you said, I just think he makes so much sense as the next midfield signing in terms of profile and everything and the homegrown thing. And, and, and that holding midfielder would probably be the ideal next move for them. Um, so yeah, I would I would place him very high up that list, and they, they obviously clearly really like him for for reasons that we can see whenever you see him kick a ball. I think he's he's you know really has been outstanding for Southampton last season. So yeah, I, I think he's very high up that list, and and maybe we'll see some movement on it in in you know hopefully in the next couple of weeks or so because I think that competition being there sort of lights a fire under Liverpool a little bit. They know that they probably can't stand, you know, stand on the heels or get caught on the heels with this one. They've really got to sort of go for it. So um, as much as this is the time for taking stock, they're probably going to have to pull the trigger soon if they really, really do want to get it over the line. Yeah, definitely. I did want to ask you on caveat to the Lavia stuff, and it's something I've seen a lot of people mention, and I too have sort of brought it up in conversations before, and it's Stefan Bajetic, because so many people say the age range between them, I think Bajetic is like a matter of months younger than Lavia. And he was so impressive last year that people are concerned, I think, that you'd sign someone in a similar profile that could almost stunt and halt the development of somebody so brilliant, I guess. But... do we see Bajetic as a six, I suppose, would be the place to start? And also, I know I spoke with Neil recently, and he raised an injury concern still around Bajetic heading into the new season. So are those the two factors that would mean we'd pull the trigger on Lavia anyway, perhaps? I think they wouldn't want to think about transfers in terms of that injury concern is, uh, you know, Neil Neil's absolutely right to say that in terms, but I, I, I think that's kind of a short-term concern, okay. isn't it? I don't think it's going to be anything long-term. So I think... You know, I think the thinking will maybe come back to the fact that he was so impressive as that left-sided eight when he got thrown in there. Now, Klopp said at the time, I think, they were sort of, you know, yeah, hadn't really played there an awful lot. They just sort of wanted to try him in it. And he, but he was he was absolutely brilliant. Looked just a really natural fit. Looked like a little bit of a, a Thiago air, really, didn't he? Which is, I know, his huge praise and, and putting a little bit of pressure on the lad. But I'm sure he won't be watching this, so it's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think it looks to me that they would see Lavia as someone who'd come in if, you know, I don't want to jump ahead on our agenda here, but, uh, you know, if Thiago were to leave, you move by Chetic then into a permanent fixture at that left-sided eight alongside Alexis McAllister. Then you've got Lavia coming in for the holding role, which he would then compete with or, or share the job really with Fabinho. Henderson is a utility player who can play all across that. You've got absolutely incredible options then in midfield. 
Um, so yeah, I think I think Bajcetic's flexibility will will get him in there, and the fact that he's just he's a quality young footballer. I don't I don't worry about him getting minutes at all. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thanks very much for that one, Jens. Yeah, great show. Check out in its entirety. It was a really, really good one. David speaks very, very well. He's got some amazing sources. Speaking of someone with amazing sources, Neil Jones joined me for this week's Geno Insight and the game. We were discussing Liverpool's midfield options, in particular, Romeo Lavia, Southampton midfielder, valued at around £50 million. Are Liverpool in form? Are they going to sell someone first? Are they not even bothered? I posed all of those questions to Neil, and here's what he had to say. Right then, let's move on to talk about Romeo Lavia. Then um, I will bring the tweeter from Court Offside, who was promoting your article, uh, yeah. who says Lavia is now Liverpool's priority after Sobislav was chosen over to Ram. And we'll, we'll focus on that yeah. first. We'll come to the other stories later. Um, you mentioned before what the DMs and stuff then, and, and it, it does feel as if. If they're going to do anything in midfield, that is the case. Now, I did see James Pierce. Yeah, I was going to say, do you want to bring that yeah, up? Yeah, I'll bring, well, bring James Pierce's tweet up now as well. It says, uh, Romero Lavia is admired, but LFC are not currently pursuing a third new face in midfield, including Trent. They've got nine options in that department, and then the situation is only likely to change if someone leaves. Also, a feeling that Lavia is massively overpriced at 50 million. We'll talk about the second part of that later, the, the, in terms of the outgoings. Yeah. But um, where are we at with Lavia then? It, it, is it. They're going to go for him. They're going to wait and see. What's yeah. your understanding of what they are with this? Team? I think same as we said on Monday. Really, that if there's a deal that is that makes sense, both in terms of the fee and the wages, I think will make sense for Liverpool for most clubs. Really, he's not. This isn't a sort of you know Jude Bellingham or Declan Rice sort of Mason Mount situation, two hundred and fifty thousand or whatever a week. The the wages will make sense. If the if the fee makes sense with Southampton and as James puts it and you know correctly, fifty million isn't doesn't make sense. I don't think for for any, for any club. Um, well, I don't think it makes sense for Liverpool. If the fee makes sense, I think Liverpool will will make a move. Um, obviously the, the the sort of joker in the pack is 
there's a couple of other clubs. I think Arsenal in particular were I saw an article from there, I think it's Tom Olnut in the Times saying that once they've got race done, they're gonna go for Lavia, they've just signed Timber, they've just signed Havertz, you know, that they're, they're obviously splashing some cash this this summer Arsenal. Um that that obviously factors into it, you know. And the fact that Liverpool, you know, as James puts it, Liverpool got nine options if nobody leaves. That must factor into the player's decision as well. If he's leaving, if you're leaving Southampton at 19, having just had the first your first season of playing regularly, and you're looking and thinking, right, where am I going to play? You'd have to look at other, you know, there'll be other clubs I think who who could maybe make him promises that Liverpool possibly can't make him at the moment. You know, Arsenal letting Jacker go, letting Thomas Partey go potentially, that might factor into his Lavia's thinking. Chelsea letting all the midfielders go, bar bar a couple. Gives them a bit of room to, to make promises. <sighs> Liverpool, I don't know. Can they make that? Can they make that promise? You know, is the promise you, you wait a year and you'll take over for Fabinho and Jordan Henderson? Is it? To, are Liverpool willing to go to that stage of no? You're actually we want you straight in our team. I'd, I'd be surprised personally. Um, and and if they were, then they'd be willing to pay whatever, I suppose, wouldn't they? But I think it'll all come down to. What Southampton want, and how much other other clubs are willing to to push for a player as well, because it's it's clearly not this isn't like Soberslay, um, really, or even McAllister, in, you know. But Soberslay had the release clause, and the, the the path was clear once Newcastle were out of that race. Um, this isn't like that. I think there's there's still there's still a few bits in the path. So we'll see whether Liverpool uh, take that plunge. I I still think there's a, there's a fair chance they they might, you know. If you want to move on to what we were talking about in terms of if someone leaves, I think there's probably a chance someone leaves. Yeah, the, I suppose it, like we were talking about the leaving in a second, but like it feels a bit to me like I've used this phrase in the past and I've had a bit of stick for it. Like you can be a bit opportunistic with this one. It isn't one that desperate to get done. Like if they were desperate, you could just go and get them. You know, if they were, yeah. if they, if, I felt like they were desperate to get number eight, and like they knew they had to do it, and it, it worked out in the end because they went and found two had release clauses. But you know what I mean? Like if they were absolutely convinced. Like they went, they were desperate for a forward, so they went and got Darwin Nunez. They just went and did it. Like yeah. I was thinking with live, yeah, it, it is like uh, Southampton would sell them. I think we'd all agree. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it, have it, to. Yeah, it makes no sense. It makes no sense for them not to. So it feels to me, and again, I don't know your opinion on this. Like it, it is a little bit like we like him. We're not. We're not. We're not. I don't know what the is. We're not absolutely desperate for a defensive midfielder. We're, we're, we're quite comfortable with what we've got. If, but if, if if a deal was there to be done, then yeah, we, we'll be there. Kind po- of yeah, possibly. And also, maybe the, had Southampton stayed up, maybe there would be a, a a general feeling in the market that, oh, good, okay, well, let's just leave him a, another year and let's see if he can do it again. I mean, you have to... It won't be a popular thing, this, because people don't like some of players Liverpool already have, really. But he's not, he's not played that much more football than Stefan Bajetic. More yeah, like he's not looked that different, Stefan Bajetic, in the way that he plays, you know, in terms of he's a very silky and sort of composed player, you know, beyond his years. He's he's only a little bit older than Bajetic, I think. He's, he's probably a few, a few months. months yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you're going to pay, if you, if you were going to pay £50 million when you've, you've got a player there that is at least, and listen, we'll see, time will tell where, where they both pitch up in their career and, you know, but if you've, he's at least comparable by Chetis team. I don't I don't think you can I personally don't think you can argue with the stance from any club but Liverpool of saying fifty million pounds a lot of money for, for him at this stage. 
you know, and if if they decided that if that was where they got to, even forty million, and Liverpool said that's too rich for our blood, I don't think you could really have a great argument with that, unless unless Liverpool had sort of decided that he was yeah. he was the one, and then and then said no, but not for forty million. It's like well, that that would be different. I, you know. I don't know how how good he'll end up being. He he looks very good, doesn't he? He looks he, he looks stylish as well the way he plays, doesn't he? I think I think that sort of feeds into it a little bit that he looks the part for a young young lad. But I think that's the same with Bajetic. I think that's what people have loved so much about him is the confidence that he's played with. And if you've got him, Bajetic has played what I think nineteen games is it, and Lavi has played thirty six in his career. And Bajetic has played them in the Champions League and in you know at the top end of the Premier League. Lavia's played them in the bottom end of the Premier League and ended up in a team that was relegated. So it it wouldn't it wouldn't at all what was the way, the way I was going to put it was you have to I think Liverpool have to factor that into their yeah. their valuation of the player. Liverpool have to think well I'm going is he fifty million quid better than Stephen? Yes, exactly that. I mean, Liverpool play what 250,000, less than two hundred fifty thousand for Bajetic. Different reasons, different age, but. Liverpool said, "Well, we've invested that. We could have. Have we got a fifty million pound player in Bajetic? Possibly. You know, not yet, but certainly there's a feeling that there's potential for him to become a very, very good asset for Liverpool. Probably in the first team, possibly even going forward. Is there a case as well? And people might not like this, and I'm very much aware that this might end up getting a share everywhere. But like, having just signed McAllister and Sobis, like if you're looking at number eight now, you've got those two: Jones, Elliot." Put Thiago in there if you want. You mentioned Cody Gakpo before. Henderson. Well, I was about no, that. That is my point. If Liverpool think, you know, Fabinho is your first DM, and say for example, Bacetic is your second. If needs must, Jordan Henderson is. He, yeah. he, he isn't going to be on the pitch as much in in advanced positions. He's almost like James Milner's done this in the past. Where you know, if needs be, I play DM third, fourth choice doing it mm. because there's no clear path really. I don't think. And listen, right, Jordan Henderson off at your pedal. And, and whatever, but like, if he's not going to be in the team in in those four positions, there there could be times where you think, you know what, do we want to spend fifty million pounds on Lavia, or when he's, he might be second choice, he might be third choice, and we have got Jordan. You know, if needs absolutely must, I don't know if that does that factor into the thinking, perhaps. Possibly, I mean, I, I still assuming they're at the club. I expect Fabinho and Henderson will play a lot of football this season. You know, there's always this sort of desire to. That, that's that, you know, Milner had it a lot, didn't he? You know, it was always every, oh, Milner won't play, and lo and behold, at the start of last season, Milner was playing quite regularly, you know, often often found his way back into the, the team, certainly found himself back on the bench. I think Henderson will be the same. I think he'll he'll play football on that right side in games. I think he'll play football probably deeper in games. We don't know what system Liverpool are going to play yet, do we? You know, they might play with two, a 4-2-3-1 almost. They might play with a, with a box. They might play... With the classic four three three that we've seen, probably probably have a go at all of them at some point. Um, but yeah, possibly that 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 comes into. I mean, if you've got two thirty, you know, well you've got Thiago and Henderson who are, who are thirty, well into the thirties, and you've got you've got Fabinho who's approaching his thirties, and to be fair, has played at times like he's you know a few years older than he is. If you've got doubts over their legs, then yeah, possibly you can put them on a sort of a bit of a relay system and say, well, you don't have to play every game. You can you can come in and do that. And you've, the other factor is obviously what you're doing with Trent, isn't it? You know what you need from your sort of holding midfield. 
at times, you know, Fabinho struggled when he was. He almost felt like he was holding the fort on his own. If you've got another one in there with him, you you may be doing a little bit less sort of, you know, less is expected of you. You're not having to build the game as much. You're sort of almost just go and win the ball back, and then Trent sort of does all the the playmaking, and we we, we deal with it from there. And we've got the number tens or the or the the advanced midfielders who, you know, give you better options when you've got the ball. So. It, it it's all it's all part of the consideration. I think the I think the the, the bottom line with with Lavia is does does the deal make sense at this stage? You know, I think there's a price where it does. I think there's a price where it doesn't. And I think if we're talking, if that is Southampton's asking price, and of course they're going to start high. But if it's fifty million pound, I would say it doesn't make sense for Liverpool. Cheers to Neil for that one. And of course, I know what you guys are thinking. Can we have more Dan Club? Yes, you can. Let's round off with another expert insight. This time, less transfer related, more ownership related. Dan invited Kieran Maguire, football finance expert, part of the amazing Price of Football podcast to discuss his latest comments about FSG still searching for investments in the football club. So yeah, take it away, Dan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Redmen TV and your latest edition of Expert Insight. And we've got a little bit of a change of pace from the whole transfer speculation and conversations about footballers. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by football finance expert and one of the voices of the very popular The Price of Football podcast, Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you doing? I'm doing grand. There's uh, there's no off season in football finance, as as you and I have probably both discovered mm. uh, over the course of the last couple of months. So yeah, full on. Uh, looking forward to next season. Looking forward to getting back to the University of Liverpool as well to teach. Yeah, absolutely. It was a glorious day in Liverpool today. You'll be glad to know. We haven't had the best of weather recently, but it's been doing okay. Been ticking on by. Um, but yeah, as you say, no, no off season whatsoever. No off switch. It appears on football at the minute. Um, whether it's not transfer related, it's actually football related. If it's not football related, it's finance related. And I've had a couple of conversations on the topic we're going to speak about in just a moment. Not for a little while, because it has been quiet on this front. Um, I spoke to Dave Powell, the Liverpool Echo, a few times on it, and he's obviously very well versed on what's going on. So I'll take it right back to the start with you, Kevin, if we can. Um, it was back in November, the initial report started emerging, the FSG. It was initially sort of build as looking for a sale, a full sale of the football club. It's since been downgraded from that and they are just looking for minority investment. Um, I guess the first place to start is when you first heard FSG were looking for investment, what was your reaction to that? Were you surprised by that? Did it feel like a good time to be doing it? I, I don't think I was hugely surprised. What did surprise me last year was somebody willing to pay £2.5 billion for Chelsea, given that the club had had its assets frozen, Mm -hmm. given that the club had lost £900,000 a week for 19 years under Roman Abramovich and has got a stadium which is, you know, realistically 20 to 30,000 below um, its peer group and and therefore it's it's struggling to compete uh, in terms of of ticket sales and getting into Europe and so on. Um, and, And that set a new benchmark. So when that did happen, I guess part of my reaction would be, well, some of the existing owners will be wanting to test the market to see what potentially they could sell their club for. And yeah, I'm, I'm not... I'm not really into sort of the, the willy-waving contests that fans have in terms of you know, my club's a bigger club than your club and so on. But there is no doubt that both Liverpool and Manchester United, as and I don't I know you probably don't like this word, as brands, 
are far bigger than Chelsea, given they've had far longer historic success. And, and that's helped to build up a global fan base that that's you know, if, if, in terms of who's going to get the most interest uh, when stories come out. You know, Manchester United and Liverpool are the two biggest in the country and, and arguably certainly certainly in the top 10 in the world. Um, so I, I guess it, it was let's see what happens next. And therefore, when FSG made the initial announcement, it was a logical thing for them to do to see just how much interest there was and to, to then to see whether they wanted to, to take that, that further in a variety of means uh, in terms of full sale, partial sale or, or nothing at all. Yeah, absolutely. And since then, I mean, we're eight months on now from that sort of initial report suggesting they were open to investors. And there have been some tentative reports, some tentative interest from groups, it appears. I mentioned earlier, I spoke to Dave Powell a couple of times, and he's got wind of a couple of inquiries and conversations that have gone on around it. But it doesn't feel like FSG have made massive progress in any minority sale of Liverpool as it stands. And do you think, do you think that's in part due to the Manchester United situation, because of course, as you mentioned, we're talking about two of the biggest institutions in sport, let alone football. And you think both entities, both brands, both clubs going on the market at the same time, it must be pretty unheard of in a finance landscape to have them to both be open for sale or investment at the same time. And also, do you think one has impacted the other in as much as the United ones kind of taken centre stage, which has meant Liverpool haven't quite attracted the interest that they might have done? Yeah, to a certain extent, you wouldn't detect yeah, Apple and Microsoft to both put themselves up for sale in, at the same time. And, and when it comes to to Liverpool, Manchester United, I think they realistically they are the equivalent in terms of uh, you know sporting institutions. Certainly, this country is concerned, and also in terms of the the, the attraction they have all over the world. Um, to a certain extent, I, I thought that the the two potential clubs. Yeah, two potential sales could elevate. They could effectively be stepping stones. Yeah, one party comes in for one of the clubs, gets rebuffed, then moves across to the other, and and, and that would be be used. Um, FSG, in my view, are far more laser focused on the on the business side, and I think they they quickly realised that perhaps what they were hoping that they could get for a full sale wouldn't necessarily be generated and they are still very much of the view that football is is undervalued in in terms of what it can achieve in, in engaging with fans and, and in engaging with fans is another word for emptying their wallets um yeah if, if you take a look at liverpool total revenues of in 2022 of 594 million pounds well you know they've they've got a, a global fan base which which does run into the tens, if not the hundreds of millions. Um, and, and therefore that works out as on a per fan basis as, as very little. Um, so FSG have, have certainly of the view that um, changes in technology, changes in the structure of football. And we know that they've they've been involved on both a domestic and uh, a European level to, to concentrate um, power and money in the hands of fewer and fewer clubs, of which they would have been one, mm-hmm. um, would have been very uh, financially beneficial to them. So uh, 
the I think the lack of progress is is due to the fact that if I was on the buying side, I'm not quite sure what I'd be getting. You know, t- 10% of Liverpool um, in, in, in the Premier League is great in many ways, but from a business point of view, it, it's not great in the sense that you want certainty. And uh, one of the issues with you know, the reason why uh, John Henry and co were so keen on Super League and Project Big Picture is that it effectively gave them control of the game and they would have, and, and with the Super League, you don't have to win football matches to qualify for the competition, as we've seen for next season. You know, with Liverpool not being in the Champions League, that uncertainty is not attractive to potential investors. And if I was buying you know, 10 to 15% of the club, and, and, and I speak to Dave Powell, as, as you do on a regular basis, and, and Dave's a great guy and he's you know, clearly got insights and contacts that, uh, that are, are, are very, very useful. Um what are what are you getting? You know, because if ten percent of the club for the three four hundred million pounds for a, for a company which on an operational level breaks even from year to year, and and then you know it makes a, ideally makes some profits in the transfer market which gets reinvested. Um, the financial return is not huge, um, although I think the potential for where Liverpool could be in 10 years in what's a very much changing world, um, th- then that becomes a bit of a speculative punt. And you know, for hundreds of millions of pounds, that's that, that's a lot of money for, for what is effectively a, lot, a, a, a lottery ticket. Yeah, it certainly is, yeah. And I often wonder with these sort of, the sales of football clubs like Liverpool and indeed, you know, investment in it, it often feels to me like not so much a lost leader because that's not quite the case, but you're not doing it to make millions and millions of pounds of profit. You're doing it to have something on your portfolio. That's how it often feels. And maybe... You know, Liverpool are still looking for the right people to want to do that. Um, before we move on to the current situation, I wanted to ask you, um, FSG have recently reappointed their president, Mike Gordon, into back into sort of duties around the football club because for a while he stepped away from that and he was looking for investors. He was, he was on the hunt, essentially, for the pursuit of the money that they're looking for. Does that show to you or does that suggest to you that they've either given up the chase for investment for the meantime or perhaps they've found some interested parties and there's different things going on now on that? I, I think they've they've certainly scaled down in terms of the, the full sale scenario. And, and that quite I think that that decision was made relatively early in terms of discussions that they had with with potential interested parties so I think his move back onto operational things is that Liverpool now want to focus on on being a business again and they're not having to spend so much time pitching to potential external parties uh, trying to drum, drum up money um I, I suspect that they if they've not found anybody in eight months, then they're not going to find anybody at all in terms of you know this this minority stake. Um, so it, we, what we could have is is people you know, making operations in the background. Um, and in terms, I, I agree with you in terms of the you know, sort of having a, a portfolio of of investments that can generate money. Um, football's an unusual business in the sense that. With the exception of Manchester United, where where yeah, the Glazers for, certainly for the last six years have used it as an ATM and taken out dividends on a regular basis, the only time you're going to make money from a football club is at the sale date, um, in all probability. Now, whether you sell 
a, a part element or a full element waits to see. Um, you know, Mike, Mike Ashley published his accounts for his personal company yesterday, and, and it showed that he made a profit um, on the sale of Newcastle of 195 million. Um, in between, he he put money into the club, and, and Mike Ashley, contentious figure, controversial figure, but he, he did lend the, the club money on an interest-free basis. FSG have lent money, uh, you know, through through their vehicles to to UKSV, which is effectively Liverpool's holding company, on an interest-free basis as well. So, so there is a cost of running the club, and you aim to recoup that sort of those lost opportunities and that money which has been lent, which you could have been used on other projects at the sale date. Um, I, I think what FSG are saying, okay, we bought it for three hundred million uh, when it was when Liverpool was a distressed asset um, under the the lunacy of Hicks and Gillette. Um, we can get our money back now and still own 80% of the club and still benefit um, as, as the majority shareholder going forward. And th there's no doubt that American owners and investors are very, very bullish with regards to the prospects of football. They, they think that we are pretty rubbish um, at, at selling the product. And we're starting to see some of that coming through from American owners. And I, and I know that this isn't a club which is really on Liverpool's radar, but for example, Bournemouth have, have been acquired by an American Texas in, investor. First thing that happens is that um, ticket prices go up by up to 20%. You've got merchandise costs going up by 20%. They're still behind, you know, but the likes of Manchester United, Liverpool, they, you know, Bournemouth as a brand doesn't have it. Um, we've seen at Manchester United, uh, now they've got a strategy of uh, if, if fans can't get to matches, they will buy the tickets back from the fans at so you know, one nineteenth of your season ticket price. And then they will, they will effectively sell that ticket to tourist fans for three to four hundred pounds, um, offering a match day experience, which appears to uh, get you a pucker pie for nothing, and uh, uh, you know you, you sit in a warehouse in in, in Trafford with uh, you know listening to a few gags from Mickey Thomas, um, and, and that's that's where the club owners want to go. Um, you know that they actually dislike. Uh, the likes of you and I who have got season tickets in our club and watch them home and away and uh, and don't spend an hour in the mega store before or after the match because we're we're a legacy problem of the game of football um, and uh, certainly as far as FSG strategy is concerned you, you look at the capacity of Anfield you look at the proportion of tickets which go to season ticket holders it's very very low because they want to monetize the remainder of the fan base. Cheers to Kieran for joining us. His podcast is amazing. You should go and listen to it at some point. I promise you, you won't regret it. What you should also listen to is all of our amazing Red Men Plus content. Get it in video form. Get it in podcast form in your native podcast apps as well. And like I say, head on over to the website. Join us as a yearly captain. Use the code Bobby, B-O-B-B-Y, and you'll get 50% off your yearly subscription. Absolute bargain. You'll get all those shows that we've just talked about. And as we ramp up towards the start of the season, you'll have all of our match day content, both pre- and post-match reviews, all that kind of good stuff. And of course, if and when the Reds sign anyone else this summer, which I hope they do, you'll have all of our amazing reactions to that as well so yeah thanks very much for listening to this episode of Redmen Weekly we'll be back with another one next week see you all then